God, the name of this message is, and on Sunday hopefully we'll be back on, in Revelation again, but the name of this message is a topical message called, Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And uh, when I gave Jonathan that title, uh, I told him, that usually I'll tell Jonathan the name of the message, and I said, Who is the Holy Spirit? And he said, He's part of the Godhead. You know, so he answered that as a question, and it was, it was pretty funny because uh, I praise God. He's biblically accurate. You know, it's great when you have people doing all kinds of things in this fellowship, and they know the Word of God. Amen. They know who the Lord is, and they can defend the truth with the Word. So uh, that just blesses my heart. And uh, Jonathan was, uh, it came as a question, but it was the name of my message, and it's called, Who is the Holy Spirit? It's important that we know who the Holy Spirit is. Amen. Because we want to make sure we have the, the right God. Amen. You can have the wrong gospel. The Bible warns about a different gospel in uh, another gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, uh, warns of receiving a different Jesus, believing in a different Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, first few verses there, verses 3 and 4 there, 2, 3, and 4. Warns of uh, a, a different gospel there as well. And it warns of receiving a different spirit. Bible warns that you can receive a different spirit. There is a different spirit far and wide in much of the professing church today because the Bible goes on to say that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. That comes right after the Lord warns about a different spirit. And right now, many people are claiming to be spirit-filled, yet their testimony is contrary to Scripture uh, many in the NAR movement are claiming that there are these miracles that are being done by the Holy Spirit, which obviously, if you look closely, aren't being done by the Holy Spirit, and they're getting a witness of a different spirit. And by the way, if you just look on, I don't know if less they've updated it and they've cleaned up all the her heretics from their website, but it was like a who's who in heretics. I think it was like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and all these prosperity teachers, name it, claim it crowd, and so forth years ago when I had looked at their uh, site, but... You only need to watch what they're doing on stage where they have uh, Gandalf's uh, a replication of Gandalf the Wizard's staff where they're saying we need to hit it a couple times on the stage and do this witchcraft act to banish racism. That's not the Spirit of God. And the Spirit that's with them is testifying of a counterfeit prophetic movement where the church basically, there's no real tribulation period and genuine antichrist that the church faces and they're replacing what the word of god and the spirit inspired word of god breathed by god amen theonoustos with the word of well men often and the word of lying spirits often uh so we need to make sure we understand who the but all this and i emphasize this because this uh bethel and other places they claim to be spirit-filled churches in fact if you aren't seeing the same miracles that they're having like gold dust, you know, that all of a sudden appears on their fingers. have no idea that people bring gold dust into a lot of these places, you know. And what chapter and verse in the book, I'm trying to remember where it mentions gold dust as being one of the miracles that will be prevalent in the end times. Uh, you don't see that in Scripture, do you? It's one of the easiest miracles. I would say to counterfeit, but that's not a miracle in the Bible to even counterfeit. It's just silliness, you know. But, uh, but the, the problem with this whole thing is you have them being claimed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are basically emphasizing following people like Branham, who was a manifestation, manifest sons of God uh, leader years ago who denied the Trinity of God. 
and said that the Trinity is of the devil. And over there, they pray, the leaders of that church, like uh, Volatin, the second guy to uh, the main uh, teacher, uh, is telling people, you know, praying that God's spirit will pour on people the same anointing that was on William Branham, who we play in our expose on Bethel, saying that the, Holy, that the Trinity is of the devil. That's a different spirit, guys. And when you have a leader in that church, Chris Volatin, who's made several false prophecies, along with uh, Johnson saying that to be a true prophet in that church, you have to make false prophecies to prove you're a real prophet of God. <laughs> really? That's not biblical. That shows you're a false prophet. And there's a different spirit that is out there right now that's leading people astray. You need to know who the Holy Spirit is. Amen? Now, when you talk about cults, uh, they often deny one of five things, one of five fundamental truths in Scripture, but they often deny four or five of these truths. And your cults typically deny the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as co-equal and co-eternal, three persons in the triune Godhead. I like to use the term triune uh, even more than Trinity. Uh, there's a lot of mystery to the Trinity, uh, there's a lot of theories about the Trinity, uh, and you have to be careful uh, with the theories because you don't want to make sure, you want to make sure in any theory that you propound of the Trinity that you don't get away from Scripture, amen? Because I'd rather be, you'd rather be ignorant about the mysteries of who the Trinity is than dogmatic and say something that's unscriptural, right? So I believe everybody in this fellowship, we affirm that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen? That there's three persons, and while they are uh, distinct as far as personality from one another and have a relationship one with another. Indeed, often you see the Father and the Son. Uh, the Father is at the right hand of the Father. I'm sorry, the Father, uh, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, amen? And the Spirit of God is sent by the Father, even as Jesus is sent. We even see often the Jesus and the Spirit side by side in Scripture uh, and actually spoken as distinct persons. Uh, so it's important that we understand uh, the cults deny the Trinity, but they also deny the deity. This, this message isn't really on the Trinity, though, although we'll talk a little bit about the Trinity, but it's on the Holy Spirit. But to appreciate who the Holy Spirit is, it's important to understand that as Christians, we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the triune Godhead. That word Trinity, if someone says, you know, someone may not even know what the Trinity is, but they believe the Scripture and the new Christian, that doesn't mean if they never heard the word Trinity. Trinity wasn't coined until it was coined by Tertullian, one of the church fathers, you know, uh, in the third century. So, uh, but, but it does describe that we have, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the cults will typically deny the Trinity. Number two, they'll deny the deity of Christ. They'll, I, they deny that Jesus is God. Amen. I see Buck, he's bobbing his head up and down because he's had experience doing the cultists, right? And you see that over and over again, right, Buck? Uh, they deny the deity of Christ. And you hear me emphasize the deity of Christ uh, over and over and over again in my ministry. Always when I see a deity of Christ passage, it's just because, because if you don't understand that Jesus is God and you reject his deity and the fact that he's God, you can't be saved. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Ego eimi. He also said, in that, also said right in a, in a the passage, chapter right before that, if you don't believe that, ego eimi, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you believe he's not God, you will die in your sins. 
the egoimi, the I am. So number one, they deny the Trinity. Number two, they typically deny the deity of Christ. Uh, number three, they deny the gospel that we're saved by grace through faith. There's usually uh, additions of certain works you must do uh, to, that, that are somewhat meritorious in their systems. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses, you got to go door to door. Don't go to door to door, man. You are in serious trouble. Your salvation is in doubt. Uh, in Mormonism, you have to give uh, 10% consistently or pretty consistently if you're going to get a temple recommend. And to get in the temple, it takes a year of tithing, at least for a year. And then you can get in the temple, which you have to get in the temple so you can go to the celestial kingdom. So you basically have to pay to get into heaven. Uh, you know, it's so they deny the Trinity. Now, I'm not saying every cult denies all five of these. I'm saying you could just deny, deny one of these and you're in big trouble. But they deny one or more of these things, and often they deny all five. The Trinity, the deity of Christ, that the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. And number four, they deny the Bible, the word of God, as the final authority in their lives, in their, in their so-called churches. Uh, usually it's some man, you know. Uh, you know, Jesus said he's, you know, the Bible says one mediator between God and man. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, amen. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I can show you in more. I have journal discourses with, which is 20-some volumes long. I have a very, several of those volumes quite marked up. When I was a new Christian, I went through much of the journal discourses. And there's one passage where, you know, you'll have to go through Brigham Young. And they'll keep going through different mediators trying to get in the celestial kingdom. And, you know, Adam. You'll come across the guy with really, you know, I think it's, if I remember right, it's been a long time since I saw this passage in the journal discourses, which is a Mormon production. Uh, you come with this guy with a really long white beard and so forth, and that's Joseph Smith. You've got to go by him to get him. Because after all, Joseph Smith, that he did more than anybody else to keep the church together, more than the apostles. He said, I even did more than Jesus. Because he said Jesus couldn't even keep the church together, he said, because all his disciples ran away from him. Does that sound like a prophet of God? That's in their history of the church, by the way. So they deny the final authority. With Mormonism, you have extra books, Right? that are more pure than the Bible, supposedly, you know. With the Watchtower, you have the Awake magazine. You have the Watchtower magazine. And you, these basically tell you what the you have to believe the Bible says. If you deviate from what these publications say, which are supposedly messages brought to the Watchtower organization by angels in some cases, and they've made a number of false prophecies, by the way, uh, you could be excommunicated from their churches. Not because this is what the scriptures say, but if you deny that 144,000... If you say, hey, it says 144,000 are sealed during the coming tribulation period. And they're, they're sealed from among men. And they're undefiled with women. And it's to protect them from the coming bowl judgment or the coming trumpet judgments and, and bowl judgments and so forth. And, and, and I don't believe that they've already already been sealed and most of them, if not all of them, are dead already. It doesn't make sense. It's not scriptural. It doesn't fit the scripture. And how is it that 144,000 are women and men? And it doesn't fit the Bible. And, and on and on. Guess what? You're out of there. No, I just believe what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 7, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 14, it's two places where it talks about 144,000. It just categorically contradicts the watchtower who makes such a big deal at 144,000. And you say, no, I just believe this and this. I don't believe that other stuff's, you know, added on. There's the door, because their final authority is not scripture. It's their publications. It's their human teachers. It's demonic agencies. And usually, you know, Roman Catholicism is not considered a 
one of the cults because it's considered a world religion, but <laughs> it has many of the same features as the cults. They affirm the Trinity, uh, the deity of Christ, although they do have a different Jesus because their Jesus is constantly being sacrificed on the altar when the priest prays and then there's transubstantiation. And transubstantiation, the substance of the wafer is transformed in the body of Christ and the wine into his blood. And that's why you genuflect when you pass the altar because you're bowing down to Christ who is being crucified again. Our Jesus, the biblical Jesus, died once for all, amen, to tell us that it is finished. He no longer is being sacrificed. He was sacrificed once for all. So you have a different Jesus even though they believe that Jesus is God. And they have a different gospel because you have to keep the seven sacraments as a means of grace. You have to be burnt, burnt up and your sins have to be burned away and you have to be tortured in purgatory. Purgatory, purgatory. Your sins have to be purged because the blood of Christ isn't enough to admit you into heaven. That's a different gospel. Uh, the final authority is the final authority of the Roman Catholic Church, the Bible? Yes or no? No, they admit, no, we have traditions. And the Bible is interpreted by our traditions. And of course, the Pope could speak ex cathedra, where his word goes. And they've got some scary popes, a big line of them through the years, and they got a scary one right now. Uh, Islam also, extra, another world religion. Do they have the same Jesus? No. The same spirit? No. The same gospel? They talk about the gospel in the Quran. It comes 600 years after Christ or so almost, but it's a totally different gospel. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a different Jesus. It's a gospel of works. And hopefully when your works are put on the scale at the very end, you have a, you know, like a, demon, a jinn on one side, a demon, an angel on the other side of your shoulders, and they're constantly battling. You do good and bad. And after your life's over, the good and bad will be weighed. And if your bad outweighs the good, you're going to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you're going to heaven. Is anybody's own good without Christ and his goodness? going to outweigh their bad? No, our goodness, our righteousness is not our own works. It's what Jesus did for us. Although he's made us new creations and now we do good works out of thankfulness for our salvation but not to attain salvation, amen? We're thankful for his grace and we live lives of thanksgiving as new creations in Christ. But it's a different gospel. And there's hundreds of millions, billions of people that are caught up collectively in Islam and Catholicism and these cults. The Jehovah's Witnesses deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. So the number five, they deny either the personality or the deity or both of the Holy Spirit. The fifth thing that cults typically do. Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses deny that the Holy Spirit is a person. They believe he's more like an active force, like electricity, not a person. They deny the personhood of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they state, quote, in their publications, Jehovah's invisible, invisible energizing force that produces visible results experienced by men. That's the definition of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the New World Abomination, well, they don't call it that, I do. The New World Translation, as they call it, never even capitalizes Holy Spirit. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you know when the creation and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in creation? When you put Genesis 1, the first few verses, with John chapter 1, the first few verses? See, the whole triune Godhead at work. And the Holy Spirit, we read that the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters. Well, guess what it says in the New World Translation? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It states, quote, And God's active force 
was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters. Okay? The Mormons believe the Holy Spirit is different than the Father, not the same like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't believe, we don't believe sameness in the sense that they're one, one person. That's not the Trinity. That's modalism. That's oneness Pentecostalism. That's an ancient heresy. We believe there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three distinct persons that share the same essence. And people try to illustrate the Holy Spirit in a myriad of ways. And sometimes by illustrating the Holy Spirit, they, the illustration actually could lead to a false conclusion, a false understanding. And, and sometimes the illustrations can be helpful, but sometimes they can do more harm than good and lead you astray. For instance, some will say, the Holy Spirit, my daughter Holly was on a forum a while ago, and she said that a lady was trying to explain how she understood the Holy Spirit. And a bunch of Christians from a certain very big church that she's aware of was, were all saying, no, you're wrong. They're all the same person, basically. And they were getting it wrong. You know, and I just had this talk with Holly, I don't know, a few days ago. I've had that talk with her two or three times because it's quite interesting. And she was just, her heart was broken over, you know, I was encouraging her. You should need to write some blogs for the sisters, man, out there, you know. Need some, some of you sisters need to step up, right, pray about it. While, you're, while Holly's chasing four kids around, right, trying to juggle uh, four kids all eight and under, you know. But uh, as the Holy Spirit leads, because there's a lot of weirdness out there, and they're all saying, and they're jumping on, backing up each other. No, the Holy Spirit's basically the same person. By giving, you know, so the idea is, well, the Holy, a lot of people describe, Christians will describe the Holy Spirit. Well, it's like a mother. It's a mother is a mom, right? And she could also be a sister and also could be a wife. She does all three of those things. She has three things, but she's one. The problem with that is the mother is one what? Person. She's not three people. Do you understand how that's an error? The Holy Spirit is not one person manifesting himself in three ways. Jesus is not the Father. And Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not Jesus. And the Father is not the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Scriptures go at great lengths to show us that there's a distinction in the persons and in their functions. And if language means anything, it's to give us an understanding that there's three genuine persons that share deity. They share the same essence. They share the same substance as the one God. This is very important to understand because we need to understand the Holy Spirit is actually a person. And he's distinct from the Father and from the Son. Yet, he shares the same essence in such a way that he's one God. And it's so heavy, we have to be really, really, really careful not to overdefine something till we go over this side or underdefine. So I'm really careful in not pressing my definitions too hard to where, you know what I'm saying? I've, that's why I'm very, very careful. So I affirm as, as clear as I can what the scriptures say. You ever hear Reverend Moon and the Moonies? Three million followers, you know, around the world. Reverend Sayang Moon, okay, a Korean cult leader. When he came over here from Korea, South Korea, Seoul is, Korea is where his church started, his cult started. He claimed that when he was coming on his plane that that was the second coming of Christ when he came to the United States on his airplane, you know. Uh, interesting stuff. When he married his wife, they claimed to both be sinless and their progeny, their children, 
were the first ones that were not born. They're nine children. First ones not born with original sin because she is the mother and, and so forth. And the Holy Spirit is a woman in their teaching. Holy Spirit is the counterpart of God, and, uh, but not a person, a form of energy, okay, derived from God. Okay, in fact, the name of the Sun Myung's church is called, quote, Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity. Okay, Christian Science. Started by Mary Baker Eddy. Christian Science. Interesting. Uh, they, she, you know what the Holy Spirit is in Christian Science? Christian Science. Just thoughts, you know. The, the so-called science of, so-called Christian Science. Which isn't, as Walter Martin used to say, the old Bible answer man who's long gone to be with the Lord, it's neither Christian nor is it science, you see. Because, uh, you know, Lazarus, uh, when Jesus rose from Lazarus from the dead, he didn't really rise from the dead. He just helped people realize that Lazarus never really died. And if you're sick, you're really not sick. That's just a, you know, an illusion, which you can see that came from the East, Maya, and so forth, Eastern influence, the mind sciences, and so forth. And of course, does she have extra biblical writings that are the final authority? Yeah, they're called Mary Baker's Eddie's Keys to the Scripture. You have to understand her keys to understand Scripture. So it's important. And when I said Mormonism is different, with, they believe the Father has a flesh and bone body, but the Holy Spirit is an invisible, is invisible and, and totally different than the Father and, and different than Jesus. But we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is the same, not the same person, but the same attributes, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Son. Now, when you see in creation, what do you see? In the beginning was the Word, John 1, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. So you have the Father and the Son, and the Greek can be translated there face to face. Could be translated that way. And, but there's two persons. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was the beginning with God. There's two persons there. Okay? And everything was made by him, and through him nothing was made that was made. Yet the word became flesh, verse 14. However, in Genesis chapter 1, you see Elohim. Amen? Elohim. By the way, there's different Hebrew constructions, of, or in the Greek there's different grammar. There's a singular, El, or there's the dual, and there's words that are plural, and it's interesting, Elohim is plural, and it's interesting because when we went through a series on typology, when we were dealing with typology uh, in our podcast, by the way, I had three lovely, uh, uh, a mother and her two daughters that were part of the Von Eif household because uh, they, it's such a beautiful story, but uh, they were there at, at the house often, and we got to know them, and because uh, just beautiful situation there when the house that we're just at we're just had this incredible hospitality just such a blessing to us i can tear up i was just such it's such a beautiful time i teared up probably 50 times on that trip well maybe 30 i can't i lost count i wasn't counting but i was like man i'm just so many beautiful things the lord was doing but it was really interesting because uh they were saying when am i gonna get back to typology tuesday because we do the podcast i had what we had was typology tuesday and then and then they all three at the same time, almost like they practiced it. They said, we want Typology Tuesday back. Like together, I'm like, okay, I'll pray about it, you know, get back to it. I go, I didn't realize, and I know a lot of people love typology. And uh, 
I, we're doing typology last Sunday, right? Or Sunday before last. We're going to do another one. We're looking at the wedding, amen? And how the weddings are a picture of Christ and the way that God set them up. So we're still doing typologies, but they wanted more podcast on that. Well, it's kind of interesting. When you talk about the creation, you see the whole Godhead involved in the creation story, but you see the Holy Spirit often depicted even in typology. Remember we talked about Abraham offering up his son Isaac? Abraham and Isaac are two different people sharing humanity, not sharing deity. But he's offering up his son. But then he sends an unnamed servant who you later find out is Eliezer, which means servant, to go and fetch his bride. Amen? Amen. And then he gives her a bunch of gifts when he chooses her as the bride. And, you know, and then that's Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit, a third person. Amen? Are you following me right now on this? It's pretty heavy when you think about it, Father a son, and a servant there. And they're all three persons doing different things with different functions. And they represent the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't think you probably ever heard that as a, as a tied in the Trinity, but there it is, man, because we've talked about it at length. Father, Son, and uh, Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit choosing Rebecca and so forth. Uh, gifting her, she decks her out with all these things. And then he brings her, Eliezer, to Isaac, who's a picture of Jesus, amen? It's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's interesting when you look at this, in creation, we see the whole Trinity at work. We see the Father, the Son, who we already talked about. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you know, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, the Holy Spirit was what? Hovering over what? The water, the face of the deep. Not the active force. You know, God's rock, his spirit, Amen. Not simply a force that's active, like electricity. Uh, so uh, you have the, and by the way, when I, and I brought up the uh, typology, because when I was going through that, we were going through Genesis chapter one. And I'm like, I can't believe, I mean, we were there for several weeks, seeing all these pictures of Christ in the first chapter. We never even got done with that. I thought this, I'd have to have 20 lifetimes at this speed to get 3,500 lifetimes maybe to go through the Bible with all these typologies. But one of the things we saw when we studied Elohim, which is in the plural, for God, amen? amen? We saw with the verbs and the way the construction of the grammar is that we're definitely talking, when we're talking about Elohim, more than one person in the Godhead there. And the clue is the Holy Spirit hovering over the water. And then you get clued in even more clearly when a couple times the Lord says through the Old Testament, do you know who my son is? You know? And it also in Psalm chapter 2 that he has a son. And then we see that the Son's active with the power of the Holy, with the Spirit in creation. And we'll pick up that more later, but what's the great Shema of Israel? Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is what? He is one. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, one Yahweh. Okay. Now, it's interesting. Uh, when he says the Lord your God is what? One. one. It says the Lord your God God is Elohim, plural. But he says one, and the, one, the word one in the Hebrew, do you remember what it is? Say it loud. Ikad. Very good, brother. It's Ikad. Good job, Renal. And uh, you, we transliterate that E-C-H-A-D, Ikad. Okay? I'm not really good with the throat stuff, so I'm not going to say it how our, Jew, our Jewish friends would. But uh, there's another word. But God is a composite unity. 
Okay, it's a composite unity. I did a whole teaching on this, more than one, but they could have used Yaqid, which is a singularity, total singularity. But God inspired Moses to write Akkad, which is a composite unity. Earlier in Genesis, we read in chapter 2 that he created them male and female, that the two would become what? One flesh. What, what do you think that word one is? Akkad in the Hebrew. It's the two are really what? One flesh. But hero Israel, Lord your God, Elohim, plural, is one, a cod. Okay? He's really one. But there are three. How, do you, how does that fit together? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's two persons there. The Holy Spirit is also part of the Godhead. You have three making the one God. Now, if this wasn't over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New, uh, you might scratch your head. But I did a teaching one time. Uh, which I thought was just a teaching because it was, I was excited about it, but it was all about how the Holy Spirit is God in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, I proved he's God in the Old Testament. For, you know, my messages, a ton of scripture. I remember Greg Lewis for years. And he, you have to ask him for the name of that because he would say, I love that message. It's so much, so clear because he loves the witness of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and so forth. And he's like, it's so clear in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's God over and over again. Yes, amen. And clearly in the new. But I'll tell you what, uh, Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to see the work of the triune Godhead in Mark chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And when you get there, we see the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, revealed in the first chapters of Mark to be God, by the way, because there's a voice crying out the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, in the first couple chapters of Mark. If you see that Yahweh is Jesus, you know, so we see Jesus come on the scene, right? And then when you get to Mark chapter 1, 11 and 12, uh, well, the baptism of Jesus, back to verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, immediately coming up out of the water. Do you notice it doesn't say they just found a little bowl of water and sprinkled him? No, they went to the river, man. And it doesn't say they just kind of dipped his toe in there or sprinkled his forehead he came up out of the water. Why do you come up out of the water? You're in the water, man. <laughs> you come up out of the water. That's immersion, right? Right, bro? He was immersed. By the way, the word baptism means immerse. Baptizo. In fact, we see that's in the Greek. Baptizo means immerse. But unfortunately, the translators didn't want to translate it immersion because too many people were doing baby baptism when a lot of these Bible translations were being done. So they just translated baptism. So interestingly enough, he comes up out of the water. Verse 10, he saw the heavens opening. So there's Jesus coming up out of the water. Then there's a heaven, heavens opening. And then what? And the what? The spirit. the spirit like a dove descending on him. So you have Jesus and you have who else? The spirit descending on him like a dove. And then number three, verse 11, and a voice came out of the heavens. You are what? You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. So the Father sends the Son. He anoints him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the I am, but he also does his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit as a second Adam to live a perfect life as a man. Uh, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, could have re, re, he could have relied constantly on his own deity because he's both God and man. Amen. And some will say, yeah, well, he ceased to be God. The kenosis. Philippians chapter 2. He was just strictly a man. No, he was not strictly just a man. Because he says before Abraham was what? I am. And he says, if you don't believe that, 
I am. Not that I was the I am, but I am. You'll die in your sins. And by the way, there's one time where he definitely expressed the power of his divinity. Because my point is this. He didn't rely, well, everybody else relied, had to rely on God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And just, he just didn't rely on his deity to get everything, to make things pleasant for him. He suffered, amen? But guess what? When he did rely on, when he did ex- ex- show his deity, it wasn't for his own selfish benefits. You know where he shows he's the I am? Clearly. Because, you know, people say, well, yeah, Jesus didn't do any miracles out, out of his deity. And I'm not saying that's a heresy. People just have different views on that. Unless you say he wasn't God when he was on the earth. Then that's heretical because he tells the disciples and he shows us that he's the God of the Old Testament. Because in the book of Isaiah, over and over again, uh, now we often go to Exodus 3.14, right? Who do I say sent me, right? Tell him that I am that I am sent you. In the Greek, it's ego eimi hoan, okay? In the Septuagint. Tell him that I am that I am sent you. Ego eimi sent you. Ego eimi hoan. And then when he says before Abraham was, I am. He's saying I'm the I am of the Bible. I am the God of the Old Testament. I am. But you know what? There's more even really incredible I am statements in chapters 42 through 47 of Isaiah over and over again where God says that I am the one true God and I prove that I am in the Greek ego eimi over and over again because I tell you the end from the beginning. And do you know that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples? You'll know that I am because when what I've told you comes to pass, you'll know that I am. And what was he telling them would come to pass? That he would rise again on the third day. Amen? That he would be crucified. When they're saying, no, Peter, it's not going to happen. Get behind me. Satan, adversary in the Greek, get behind me. Well, guess what? When he's being taken and to be arrested, which is exactly what he prophesied, what did they say? when they were arresting him, when they asked if he was Christ, when they were looking for, are you the one we're looking for? What do you say? I am. And if your translation says, I am he, cross out he. It's not in the Greek. Cross out the Bible. No, that's not part of the Bible, really. It's egoemi. And what happens when he says, I am? Burst of power, man. They fall down. Now, some liberals were like, well, maybe someone tripped and then another soldier tripped and a lot of them just start tripping. And just, you believe, it takes more faith to believe what you believe than what we believe. Think about it, guys. When he says that, is that for his own? Oh, you know what? I, I, I'm going to get myself some water by just because I am and I'm thirsty. Or no, he suffers as a man, but he exerts his deity at that point to show them who he is, to show the disciples, look, I told you when these things happen, you'll know that I am. Isn't that beautiful? Man, I'm trying to stay on the Holy Spirit, but I keep coming to Jesus again because I can't get off Jesus, and I hope we never get away from Jesus, amen? But notice you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all all there in Mark chapter 1. By the way, when Jesus said with the Great Commission, right, he said, and all power in heaven and earth is given unto me after he rose from the dead in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, after it says they were worshiping him. He didn't tell them not to worship him. He never said, don't worship me. Angels say, don't worship me, right? Because they say, worship God, not, not an angel, but he, Jesus accepts worship. In fact, we're commanded to worship Jesus in Hebrews chapter one. Oh, here I am going on Jesus again. That's okay though. That's a good habit to be in. But think about this, guys. 
I think this is important, is that he said, go ye in all the world, right? Making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, right? And also, he also said, let's not miss this part, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name, not names, plural, singular, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we have to be careful when we're, oftentimes when people are praying, even up here, and I say this in love, but, you know, it could be an elder, it could be a worship leader, it's happened in the past. Father, we thank you for coming down and dying for our sins, Father. I'm like, no, no. The Father, did the Father die for our sins? No. Jesus, he sent Jesus to die for our sins. I know whenever that happens, and sometimes, you know, because I'll say, hey, bro, just let you know. And they know, you know, it's, oh man, it happens. I've seen seasoned, you know, pastors say that, that that's not their theology, you know. I'm, in fact, if you looked at all my tapes, I may have said something like that in the past because it just happens because your father, thank you. And, but I make sure, you know, I try to shift distinction. The son died for us, amen. The father was not on the cross. He's, he didn't take a body. The son took the body, amen. The father is still in heaven. And... It's interesting, but Jesus says baptizing them in the name. That's singular, though, because there's one God that shares the same essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one person, and the love of God, that's speaking of the Father, too, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? You see the three often uh, together throughout Scripture. But the Jehovah Witness and a lot of the cultists will say, well, he's an active force, like I mentioned earlier. But like electricity or something. But does electricity have a will? No. Does that electricity speak? No. Does, whole, does electricity have feelings? No. Can the electricity search people out? And, and does the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, we know the Holy Spirit has what I'm going to say next. But does electricity bear fruit? No. No. Like, I'm, I'm talking about fruit like peace and love and joy. Keep plugging electricity and also have the joy of the Lord. No. But guess what? The Holy Spirit, these are things that are, these are attributes together, holistically, of a person. And the Holy Spirit has these attributes of personhood. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 speaks of the Holy Spirit's will, which talks about how he distributes the gifts. But there's, it mentions one and the same Spirit works all things, works, works all, uh, all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. And he gives gifts out according to how he wills. And he sees different fellowships and what gifts are needed in different fellowships. And there's also the prayers of the saints which are supposed to be saying, God, use me. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me gifts. Crying out that, that we'd be used and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would manifest through us. And I'm not... Is that a little earthquake or something? Yeah. Wow. Well, Lord, protect everybody. And if it's further away and we're just getting a little part of it, we pray everything's fine. If it was an earthquake, if it's a little kid, may that little kid be blessed. Because <laughs> you never know sometimes. Sometimes there's phenomena that's, I mean, we had a trip. It was trippy when we had our, it was like beautiful things going on. And when we had first got together with uh, really sweet people, uh, Pat and Mandy, and uh, that's before we even got to the uh, Ron Ives house and fellowshiped with, uh, you know, uh, that whole family there was beautiful, but Keith and Mary, just awesome. They just love Jesus, and, 
And it was just beautiful to, and their family, it was just beautiful to be there. But before we got to their house, we were spending a time, they had a big barbecue, and it's just beautiful in this, this backyard we were at, and beautiful fellowship with all these Christians, and it was so awesome. And then a couple of hours went by, maybe an hour and a half, I don't know, before we, we had a prayer. And then I stood up, they asked me to pray, and I prayed, and as I'm praying, there's these wind chimes, you don't even feel any wind, maybe a little breeze here and there. We didn't hear them the whole time. And right in the middle of the prayer, they just start going off in such beauty. And everybody's tripping out. We thought that was interesting. Then at the baptism, which is really interesting, beautiful baptism, a number of people baptized. We had uh, people, uh, we had a couple different baptisms, actually. And uh, at one of the baptisms, did we do two baptisms? Yeah, we did two. And that was the second baptism, right? Where we had the fish and stuff. It was a trip, man. Because it was beautiful because there were a few people being baptized that we never met. And there was a lot of people that showed up that were not part of the three different groups. And it was so exciting. We're doing this baptism. I think the gentleman was like 80 or so, the older gentleman. The dad just came back from Baxland State after 15 years sometime earlier. And his two sons, which were probably around my age or so. Uh, sorry if you guys are listening to this because they're into our stuff. And we praise God that you love truth. And I didn't age you too much because they probably may be a little younger than me. Uh, <laughs> but we baptized them and... Uh, it's just beautiful, uh, Quinn and uh, a couple of the Van Eyps daughters, and, which is just uh, really, really uh, precious, uh, Belle and Sammy. Uh, and it was so beautiful. But they said, I didn't see it, but they said, there were all kinds of fish jumping all around you guys during the baptism. And these guys are always by the water. There's water everywhere on Long Island. Long Island is absolutely amazingly beautiful. I had no idea. I'm thinking New York, concrete jungle, trees everywhere. I mean, it's like a beautiful jungle, you know? And it was just beautiful. And they said, there's all these, and they're all saying this. They've never seen it, anything like that with all these fish just jumping up at a baptism. And then they're like, oh, look, there's a rainbow around the sun. And they're all like, we've been here forever. And several people said, I've never seen a rainbow around the sun, you know, maybe around the moon, right? It was just kind of interesting. Is that all God at work and doing this all for, well, I don't know. I'm not going to say no. Because I trip out on things like that. In fact, at one time, uh, if you've seen the time we were in Israel, we went witnessing by the beach what happened in the clouds. Anybody seen that picture? Is that amazing? Well, to sh- you were there. Several people are taking pictures. They're like, what in the world? is? And what we thought we saw, well, we, we did see something. And we know what we saw. I never saw a, something like that before or after anywhere close to what, how this was defined. And and I don't know. We, you know, we'll put this up sometime because we should have showed it to everybody. It's a blow mine. Is that God? I don't know. It's either a huge coincidence or God's saying, you know, oftentimes God does do that. But I don't want to say things that I can't prove for sure, God, that it's for sure God. But he's powerful God. And, and he gives out his gifts according to how he wills. Uh, and then he searches. Electricity doesn't search and with a will uh, to find and with a mind. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, we read, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Does electricity or some active force search the depths of God? No. Uh, he fellowships, again. Paul talked about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, 2 Corinthians 13.14. And in Philippians 1.2, he speaks of if there is any fellowship of the Spirit. 
if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. Have you, do you have fellowship, beautiful fellowship with affection and compassion, with electricity? No, it's ridiculous. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You cannot grieve electricity, okay? There is the fruit of the Spirit, as I mentioned earlier, but love is the fruit of the Spirit. Does electricity or some force just love? No, a person loves. A person makes a choice. The peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, amen, self-control. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the, one of the persons of the triune Godhead. In fact, the Holy Spirit speaks. Persons speak, amen, not a mere electrical or some kind of active force. King David declared that, quote, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. Catch that? The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And his word was on my tongue, 2 Samuel 23, 2. Ezekiel reported that, quote, the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, Ezekiel 2, 2. Isn't that interesting how the Holy Spirit speaks? Go to the book of Acts chapter 13 in the New Testament, and we see the Holy Spirit is far more than some force. He's a person. He is co-creator with the Father and the Son. All three of them are involved in creation. And when you go to Acts 13, verse 1, we read this. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, who was called Niger, Lucius, and Cyrene, and uh, Manian, and, and they brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And uh, it goes on to say, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit, listen to this, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit what? Said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Wow. Wow. In fact, go to Acts chapter 20. And that was the Holy Spirit speaking to the church at Antioch. And now you go to the Acts chapter 20. And there's more than just these two, but these are good witnesses right here. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to see that Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit was constantly telling him what would happen if he continued on to Jerusalem. And we read Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. You see that, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit is a person, amen? He's a divine person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the three persons that make up the one true God. In Colossians 2.9, it says that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. Now, it's interesting because it's in the farewell addresses that we see in the Gospel of John. There are five different passages in the farewell discourses uh, in, John, in chapters 14 through 17 that refer to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, Okay? And he is the paraclete, which is, could be translated helper or counselor, right? Or guide. And it's interesting because 
the paraclete is, you know, it can be translated advocate. Some scholars, there's, there's kind of a debate as to how that word is best translated with regard to uh, the paraclete. But it's interesting, uh, he is our helper. He is our counselor. He is our advocate. He's counseling Paul, you know, what's going to happen. And, and counseling in chapter 13, set apart Barnabas, amen. But he's also our advocate. He's, he's very similar, as we shall see, to Jesus. But it's interesting because if you go before chapters 14 through 17, if you go into John chapter 3, if you go into other passages in John uh, earlier on, John 3, 6, 7, you see the Holy Spirit is, is, has power. Uh, he's the agent by which we are born again. Amen. Must be born of water and of spirit. Amen. He's the one that satiates our thirst. That would be unending thirst if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. You see those aspects of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel in chapters 3, 6, 7, and elsewhere, actually. Uh, but also 17, 18, uh, you, you see some of that through 21 a little bit. But you know, it's in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 where you have, fi- uh, where you have a few chapters actually dedicated to the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaching about what the Holy, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And these chapters are quite interesting because here Jesus calls him the paraclete, the helper, and the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And in the days in which we live, we better get a grasp, understand of who the Holy Spirit is. Because right now, he's either in the cults being diminished into some kind of force, or in the church, he's being diminished to not really caring about truth. False prophecies abound and claim to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. A lot of the charismatic churches, and we're not cessationists. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God still gifts us and empowers us and we're supposed to cry out and you ought to be crying out saying lord use me not about me but may you glorify yourself through me as and it may be the gift of hospitality you know it may be any it may be a gift of governments it may be a gift of helps you know it may be a gift of teaching it may be any gifts but the best way to pray is say lord your will be done use me to your glory because he sees the, sees the needs and i personally believe that not every, when you're born again I believe when you're born, you have different, certain natural gifts the Lord's blessed you with. I believe when you're born again, everybody has at least one gift. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12. All those chapters confirm that each believer that's been born again has at least one gift. But 1 Corinthians says to pray earnestly for the greater gifts. So you'll be crying out to the Lord. So I believe the Holy Spirit chooses and says very clearly, I just showed you in 1 Corinthians 12, that he gives out gifts according to, as he sees fit, as he wills. Amen. So I believe the Lord will look at a church and see needs in a certain church, and he can gift a person the way he sees the need. That's very important to understand. That means you just don't come necessarily with a set of gifts spiritually. God wants to use you, and he may give you a certain gift because of the need of the church. Because that's how powerful God is, and because he's not restrained, amen, by our will. That's pretty heavy when you think about it that way. Most people don't think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that way. They think everybody's got a certain gift or a certain, you know, a medley of whatever gifts potentially. But, you know, but God's, God's eyes go to and fro seeking whom he can strengthen and use to his glory. In a church, there's needs for people to be used in different ways. And he'll gift people according to those needs, I believe. Now, it's interesting because in these farewell discourses, the farewell discourses uh, in chapters 14 through 17, in these five passages, they're basically chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, and verse 25, 26, 15, 26, 27, 16, 7 through 11, and verses 13 through 15. 
And it's interesting because when you look at the words that are used to describe the Holy Spirit, you have him as an instructor, a teacher. You have him as a witness. You have him as the guide into all truth, the comforter in affliction. These are terms, this is terminology used of personhood, amen? And far more magnanimous, beautiful, magnificent, wonderful personhood that we have as those who are created in his image. And this is strong evidence that he is a person and that he acts with the Father and the Son, but he is also independent agent in the sense that he has his own role, which I think is quite amazing. Now, Jesus refers to, and I think this is important, if you go to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. And now this message isn't on all the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the emphasis or the gifts of the Spirit. Not the emphasis. We've had messages in the past on that. We'll do message on that again because we're we're overdue on some messages like that. And it's including this message, who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, But notice John chapter 14, verse 16. What do we read that Jesus says here? I will ask the Father and he will give you another what? Another helper. Okay. He will give you another helper another helper, that he may be with you forever. It's timeless, man. That he may be with you forever. Isn't that awesome? So when Jesus is going to leave, he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will be with him how long? Forever. Amen. Now notice he says another helper. You might want to circle the word another there and maybe draw a little arrow and write next to that if you want the Greek word alas. Okay, A-L-L-O-S is a transliteration of that word another. And it's just very interesting when you understand that that word alas is a, uh, alas is a very, very interesting word that Jesus chooses there. Because the word another there in the Greek means another, meaning a distinct other person in this context, but exactly the same. That's why when we speak of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, We speak that they're different persons, but they're co-eternal. Amen? They're co-eternal and they're co-equal. Jesus would not use that terminology of you or me if we were kind of going to uh, help out after he left. He would use another word probably like heteros. Okay? Because alas is used of another, but the same as, and it's used often qualitatively and often quantitatively in regard to sameness, not being the same exact person as Jesus, they're different persons, but being the same. Meaning if you see the, the attributes and you see the, 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 the power and you see the eternality that you'd say, that you saw, and you saw who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, you see that there's three persons, but they're all one, Okay. They function differently in what's sometimes called the economic trinity. They have different roles. Father sends the Son, right? Uh, The Son and the Father send the Holy Spirit. Three persons. The Father speaks from heaven. Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. We've already checked that out. So the Greek word alas, it means another of the very same kind. Are you with me? That's pretty powerful. So when Jesus goes, sometimes we think, man, if I could have been around the time when Jesus was, Jesus, because he's so awesome, he's so wonderful, he's the son of God, he's so special. 
But guess what? Jesus said, when I go, I'm sending you another of the very same kind as me. He's going to continue the work that I've initiated. And he's going to live in you. Amen? Think about that. That's powerful, you guys. Okay? So he's, sending, he's clearly stating that the Holy Spirit will be just like himself. And I think this is very, very powerful. In fact, it's interesting. I mentioned that alas means the same of the same kind. Another means another of the same kind. But if he wanted to say another of a different kind, like he was saying John the Baptist, you know, uh, not John the Baptist because he was beheaded, right? But if he was saying, you know, speaking of some rabbi that was going to come and fill in for him before he came back and then he was just going to die, he wouldn't have used the word uh, of a mere human being, I don't believe, doing that because no human being could do what Jesus did, no mere human being, amen? That's why I don't believe he's just speaking of sameness, uh, being exactly like him in the context of just activity because only God could do the activity, amen, that Jesus was doing, amen? And the Holy Spirit was actually doing it in and through him and Jesus was as well as the Son of God. But we're talking about, I believe, qualitatively and quantitatively, one of the same kind, but not the Son of God. The Holy Spirit being distinct from the Father and distinct from the Son. Now, and he would have used not alas, but he would have used the word heteros, okay? And you could translate that, transliterate that from the Greek, H-E-T-E-R-O-S, okay? And, uh, and heteros, so it's an interesting Greek word, but it means another, but of a different kind, heteros. He didn't use the word heteros, paraclete, another of a different kind. That would be the comforter, the helper. He used another of the same exact kind because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three make up who? The one true God. In fact, there's a great place where you can see uh, where this actually takes place, where you have uh, in, in the Greek, listen to this. In, in, in Galatians 1, 6 and 7, Paul says, I'm amazed. Remember when he warns about a different gospel? And he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another. Isn't that interesting? Only there are some who would, are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be a curse. So what does he mean, uh, you know, watch out, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to receive another gospel. They says it's really not another. When he says another gospel, he says the first time he says it, he says heteros. Another of a what? Different kind. Which he says is really not a, another, alas. Isn't that cool? It's really not the same gospel of the same kind. Are you with me? Are you following this? Pretty heavy. And in fact, the NASB makes a distinction and says, I'm afraid that you'd receive another, meaning they just translate a different gospel. But both words mean another, but one means another of the same kind, exactly. The other word means another, but of a different kind. And when he says, I'm afraid that you're going to receive another gospel, he says, alas. I'm sorry, he says, heteros. But he says, which is really not another, I mean, alas, of the same kind. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes and he's going to fulfill and continue to empower us to finish the work that Jesus 
began and initiated, and he helped Jesus through that ministry, by the way, he's another of the same kind that's helping and using the church right now. Think of how powerful the Holy Spirit is. Amen? And how beautiful that he's using all these believers and how patient he is. Is he patient with us? Was Jesus patient with his disciples? Remember, they're arguing about who's the greatest three and a half years of the ministry. I'm the greatest. I'm here. No, you wash his feet. I'm going to be at his right hand or whatever they were saying. You're like, what in the world? And Jesus was so patient. Well, praise God, the Holy Spirit is of the same kind of Jesus. As Jesus, amen? Because he's patient with us. Because we can be thick-headed. We can be full of pride. We can be whatever. And the Holy Spirit has to, is grieved by that and wants to use us and humble us so he can use us, amen? And, but now it gets really heavy when you think about it because think of this. I love this. Jesus, Philip says, show us the Father and it will be enough. John 14. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Wait a minute. How could he say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? It's statements like that when he said he was one with the Father in John 10.30, right? That they wanted, the Jews wanted to stone him because they knew what he was saying. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How much is he like the Father? Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses. He is the exact representation of the Father's person. In other words, you've seen the Father? If you see Jesus, you're looking at who? The Father. Now, is Jesus the Father? No. But he's exactly like the Father. Amen? Are you with me? Isn't this good? The Word of God is good. And I'm not bringing you something from my own heart or mind because then it would be a failure. It wouldn't really benefit you. The flesh profits nothing, amen? I'm just bringing you what the Word of God says. So Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He's like the mirror image of the Father. But then guess what? I'm going to send you another, alas, comforter, one just like me. Amen? So if you look at the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you look at their eternality, their power, amen, their attributes, you're looking at mirror images of each other. And that's why they have perfect harmony and perfect righteousness and perfect beauty in perfect symmetry in their being. Amen? Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. Are you seeing how this fits together? We have an amazing, amazing God. So Jesus, the Father creates everything with Jesus, through Jesus. John 1, Ephesians, number of passages. And the Holy Spirit hovers over the earth. And you might think, is that the only scripture we have really, that he's part of the creative act and creating everything, the Holy Spirit, because there's many of Jesus and the Father. You know, Acts chapter 17, I had somebody here that was coming here for some time, an older gentleman who challenged me, saying, usually you get the, the cults denying that Jesus is God and the creator, so forth, you prove it real easily. Well, I had this gentleman saying, and I sat with him in my office, you know, and he's saying, no, you're saying that Jesus created everything, everything and you're, you're right, but you also say the Father created everything. And that's wrong. It's nowhere in the scripture, you know. And I took him to a number of passages, but I took him to Acts chapter 17. And I showed him right around verse 30, not verse 30, but right there, right before verse 30, where it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it speaks of the Father in distinction from the, uh, Jesus, how the Father created everything. Yeah, the Father created everything. You have Jesus created everything. But you also have the Holy Spirit involved in creation. And that's not just in Genesis 1-2 by way of implication. It's spelled out very, very clearly. In fact, Genesis chapter 1-2, keep in mind that that is a, we're not going to get into the tohu wo bohu and all that, but that's pretty heavy when you think of 
that was that, that, that black canvas that the Lord started with, with this, with this primordial uh, part of creation, uh, and, and creation was new. It wasn't a recreation. It was God starting with these elements, and then he creates everything. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that this is a picture when the Lord caused, called light to, commanded light to shine out of darkness, us becoming new creations. That's a picture of what's happening to us, amen? But you go to chapter 3 at the end right before that, and you see the Holy Spirit at work, Amen? It's the Holy Spirit at work in us that's transforming us from glory to glory. And then when the Lord says, let there be light, he said, let there be light in us. And the Holy Spirit made us new creations. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, we see a picture of that. And then we see the Spirit of God being mentioned throughout chapter 3. Then we get to 4 and 5. And then 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, all things become new. The Holy Spirit's very active in our regeneration, amen, making us new, amen, from our old ugly canvas. Boom, he made a picture of that. Then he does that in us, amen. And it's really powerful, but there's more than that. In fact, uh, we see that the Spirit gives life to the creation in Psalm 104, verse 29. And it's interesting because we read in Psalm 104, verse 30, you send forth, listen to this, you send forth your Spirit, and they are created, and you renew, this is heavy, listen to this, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Who renewed the face of the ground? The Holy Spirit does. But you send forth your spirit, and they are created. His Holy Spirit's active in creation. Listen to Job chapter 26, verse 13. By his spirit, by his spirit, he adorned the heavens. Wow. Now, wait a minute. The Father created the heavens and the earth. Yes, that's right. Acts 17. Wait, Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. That's right. Oh, and well, Job 26, 13, the Holy Spirit adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. Galatians, amen. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. John chapter 2, Jesus says, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up. Amen. Acts chapter 32, verse 15, about creation and the Holy Spirit again. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is counted as a forest. By the way, brothers and sisters, and I won't go here. You can go and study on your own because I've done this a couple times when I wasn't doing a whole teaching on who the Holy Spirit is but for the way of emphasis. But you know, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied. And it says, they didn't lie to men, but they lied to who? It says, you didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. Boom. They're both killed. Back to back. And it says, if you read Acts chapter 8, verses 3 through 2, 3 through 5, 6, 7 there, you start at verse 1 and read through 11 to get the bigger picture. But it says, they didn't lie to men, but to God, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is indeed God. Amen? He is God. In fact, these last few points I want to make in the next few minutes is, who inspired this book? It's the word of God. Amen? Many, many scriptures show us that Jesus is the one who spoke to Moses through the burning bush and elsewhere. It's the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amen? But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says that the prophets spoke as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's the inspired word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Right? Okay? Now that's, that's heavy when you think that it is the inspired 
word of God. And the Greek there is God breathe, right? Theonoustos. It's breathed by God. What's the word breath? Pneuma in the, Old, in the New Testament, the Greek word. Ruach is the word for breath in the Old Testament. God breathed on them and said, and they became living souls. Ruach, same Hebrew word for spirit. God gives us life, but God breathed his word. Why is this important? Because when you go to hyper-charismatic churches, when you go to churches that are in the NAR and all these false prophets are going forward, where they might even use just one or two verses of the Bible, and they often use the few verses they use will be way out of context. And they'll say, well, we're a spirit-filled church. And I'll say, no, a spirit-filled church will be a church that fears God and reverences his word because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you are a spirit-filled church, you will be in line with the words of the Spirit who's called the Spirit of truth. Amen? Are you with me? And what's weird today is you have this weird dichotomy. It's like, well, you either go to a Bible church and where they're into the Word, or you go to a church where they emphasize the Holy Spirit in a Spirit-filled church. Wrong. A true Spirit-filled church will not have a bunch of false prophecies and false teaching. They will, they will bow down to God and his word. Amen. The, well, the, all charismatic churches, we want to be a loving, charismatic church. Agape. Yeah, we're in agape. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But what does true love do? 1 Corinthians 13 defines love, and one of the definitions of love is love rejoices in the truth. If you are a spirit-filled fellowship, you will rejoice in the truth of God's word. Amen. And you will exhibit the love of God and his word. Amen? And guess what? If you're in a spirit-filled church, you know who you hear mostly about? Jesus and not the Holy Spirit. Well, this whole message has been on the Holy Spirit. Well, I couldn't help but go back to Jesus over and over again. And almost, in most of my messages, 98, 99% of them, all about Jesus and his word. Amen? But, the whole, but Jesus himself taught about the Holy Spirit so we don't have the wrong spirit. Amen? But you know why I say that a real spirit-filled church will be talking about Jesus? Because Jesus said in John chapter 14 uh, through uh, 16, you know, Jesus said in John 14 through 16 that the Holy Spirit will take of mine and disclose me to people. John 16, 14, listen to this. He will glorify me. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit, if you're in a real spirit-filled fellowship, they will love the truth of God's word. Amen. They will have agape, which rejoices in the truth of God's word, because he is the spirit of truth who has inspired the word of God. And he's the one that wrote, moved the prophets. And he is grieved when we deviate into false doctrine and evil behavior that contradicts obedience to the scripture. Amen. But guess what? Well, I go to Holy Spirit-filled church because we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. Mm, that's not a Holy Spirit-filled church if you're talking about the Holy Spirit all the time and, and more than Jesus. If you're talking about the Holy Spirit more than Jesus, you're not a Holy Spirit-filled church. You know why? Because Jesus says, he, John 16, 14, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will glorify Jesus, him, amen? So a truly Spirit-filled church is gonna be all about Jesus, in love with Jesus, glorifying Jesus, Amen. Are you with me? I hate to stop now, man, because I really feel, just want to preach Jesus, man, now. But that'll be for next time we get together.
on Jesus and the wedding and how we're awaiting our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But guess what? The spirit and the bride say, come, Revelation 22, 17. They're calling us to come to Jesus. Let him that hears say, come. Let him as a thirsty, that's thirsty, come and drink of the water life freely. Amen. Come to Jesus and drink freely. And I want to encourage anybody who's hearing this message and who's been caught up in the charismania that's out there where you don't care, where you're being led not to care about truth and God's word and test things. The Bible says, test the spirits to see whether they're from God, 1 John, right? Chapter 4. Test everything, hold fast to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm saying this because we want to know who is the true God, who is the triune God, amen? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. The Father did not die for us, amen? The Holy Spirit didn't die for us, Jesus died for us, amen? But the Father sent Jesus, and the Holy Spirit regenerates us. And the whole Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all live in us, amen? Because God is omnipresent, he lives in all of us genuine believers. Amen. So that was one message on who is the Holy Spirit. I hope, hope you got filled with his word today. Uh, we have an awesome God. And uh, I'm going to just close with this text, John 20, 20 through 23. And when he had said this, that is Jesus, he showed them both his hands and his side. His disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. By the way, that doesn't mean you have the power to forgive sins. And then God says, oh, okay, now I forgive him. It's a pluperfect tense. I don't have time to explain the Greek tense there. But it's saying they have already been retained in heaven. So when you go to the Greek and you study this, you're basically saying what God's already saying. You're agreeing with what the Lord. So it's like church discipline. Say somebody is in an adulterous relationship with somebody in the fellowship. And they refuse to repent. And somebody confronts them. They refuse to repent. One or two go to them. They still refuse to repent. Then it's brought before the church. And the leaders go to that person and say, hey, you can't be in this fellowship, man. We, we beg you in the name of Jesus, turn from your sin because you're headed to eternal darkness and you're destroying a family and, or whatever we need to say at that point, depending on the context of the situation. Is, and then we say like Paul, we have to get the leaven out of the church because it can affect the church, right? We're agreeing with what the Father has already decided, amen? But we're agreeing and we're working with the Holy Spirit who he has given to the church and he breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, amen? Because the Holy Spirit, we're the temple of God, the living God, it says. We're also the temple of the Holy Spirit for we are not our own. We're bought with a price, amen? God lives in the church and we witness the loss and seek to win them to Christ. But as the church, we also operate as a church, Amen. So it is, a, it is a precious bride, a light on the hill for the world to see a clean and pure church that's filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Amen. Can you see how this could go on forever? <laughs> because God is just so deep and the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. But I pray, Father, in your Son's name that you bless my brothers and sisters and that we would all seek to be led by your Spirit as we read your Word and we get the leading of your Spirit by your Word, Father, as your Word is a lamp to our feet, written by men who were moved along by the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. And as your Holy Spirit can also speak to us, not as extra biblical revelation to add on to Scripture, Father, but to confirm your word and give us direction as to whether we're to move as we cry out and say, Lord, you've asked me to ask for wisdom and not just move, but to say if it be your will. So I cry out to you and pray as it says in James, so you could speak to our hearts and give us specific guidance as we obey the word of God. We pray, Father, in your Son's name 
that we would not become cessationists, that would say that God can't speak to us anymore in accordance with the Spirit, in accordance with your word, Father, and that we would never become sensationalists either, Father, that would go outside of Scripture, saying there's new Scripture or new revelation that we're to follow where we can depart from your word, Father, for you have given us all 70 books, Father, Genesis to Revelation, including the five books that make up the Psalms, 66 books, or 70 if we divide them that way, Lord. We thank you for the entire word of God, Father. All 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word, inspired by your spirit, and the death of your son, on behalf of us lost sinners without him, but saved now, and new creations by your grace. And we pray, Father, if there's anybody here that is not born again, they'd recognize that Jesus died for their sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. If they repent of their sins and embrace him, turn to him and, uh, as their Lord and Savior and trust what he did on the cross for their sins, Jesus, the God-man, substitute himself on their behalf. They'll pass through faith in him from, from death to life and will not come into condemnation. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for one another and the fellowship, the koinonia that we share with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.